15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9, ignition sequence start. Space nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello once again, and thank you for joining us on this, the Space Nuts podcast, episode 255. My name is Andrew Dunkley, your host, and the man with the brain power to make sense of it all is the one and only Fred Watson, astronomer at large. Hello, Fred. Hello, Andrew. Thank you for that. Uh, Some would doubt that, but that's all right. (laughs) (laughs) Nearest and dearest of many varieties. You just take it on the chin. That's the way I've spent 34 years of marriage. (laughs) Take it on the chin. Speaking of taking it on the chin, Fred, I know last week we were talking about my impending COVID-19 vaccination. Yes, we did. And you you said uh, you had absolutely no symptoms whatsoever other than maybe a bit of a sore arm. Well, I went and had mine on Monday, uh, the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. Yep. Good uh, it wasn't a difficult process. I um, I went in. They identified me. Uh, they they used a mugshot for that, by the way. Uh, they they asked me a few questions, and because of my history with vaccines, because I have reacted to them in the past, I, I got to spend extra time in the special room afterwards. Oh God! But, okay. um, yeah, uh, <laughs> they um, they 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 did the deed, and I spent the rest of the day quite happily. But I was not. After effect free, uh, unlike mm. your good self, uh, I had um, uh, cold shivers that Ooh. night. Uh, I had um, hot and cold flushes. I had body mm. aches and pains. I had a headache. And the next day was just, uh, as in yesterday, just um, full on lethargy, just headache and lethargy all day. And then um, I, I felt a bit better towards the evening. And I, I was speaking to a friend of mine in Queensland who has also had his first injection. He said, when did you have it? I said, 10 o'clock on Monday morning. He said, okay, he said, you're going to have one more weird night. And I said, what's that mean? He said, you'll find out. And I thought, okay. <laughs> And he was right. Um, about 3.30 this morning, I woke up in a lather of sweat. I was so drenched, it was like I'd been standing under a shower. My hair was soaked. Everything was soaked. It was strange. Um, but then I woke up, um, I, you know, I got up and dealt with that. But um, when I woke up and um, got on with the day, I, I didn't feel too bad. And I feel pretty good at the moment. Just maybe a little bit of fogginess. But um, other than that, I'm 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 through the worst of it. So, Very yeah, good. some people have side effects. I sound like I had them all, which is <laughs> what good, I wanted. I didn't have any, which is great. Yeah, my my father <laughs> my father didn't have any either, but my mother had the same as I did. So oh, obviously, go. I got her DNA. Yep, yep. Thanks, mum. Yeah, but yeah. Um, look, I know a lot of people are scared to get it done for those sorts of reasons, but. Not getting it done opens you up to something much more scary. Oh, so indeed, I think a, yes. a day of discomfort is um, certainly a small price to pay. Indeed. Okay, uh, today we will be hearing questions, questions from our audience. We're 100% dedicated to questions. The answer to all of them is yes, and thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. <laughs> I love that joke. I know you do. I've heard it, it before. <laughs> <laughs> About 50 times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to hear from Ashley, who's got uh, a triple banger for us. Um, Christian wants to know about the rotation speed of the Earth. 
Uh, we're going to hear from Marius about Exoplanet J1407, uh, 1407B. Uh, John wants to know about CMB, and we've got uh, Jerry in San Diego who's got a question for us, and I think there's one more that I've missed, Mark from Newbury, uh, about um, hydrogen in the sun and um, looking at the length of that question. This could be a very long show. But anyway, we'll get through all of those. We will. We'll get through all of those today. So let's start, Fred, with uh, our first, which is an audio question from young Ashley. Hi, my name is Ashley, and um, so um, have you guys tried the um, the Oculus um space um um like it's like a virtual reality um thing like you're on the ISS. So I did that today. And um, what I also um, have another question about is what happens if we had no atmosphere? And also, um, what do you think there is any other animals out there? And um, do you think that we'll find them first or they'll find us first? That is that is a good question. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, Oculus. I, I did do something recently, Fred, which uh, involved the International Space Station. I don't know if it was Oculus, but it was on the ISS website where you can use a simulator to dock with the International Space Station. And I had a crack at that, and it is really quite a lot of fun, but it... it, it requires incredible concentration because the closer you get to docking your spaceship, the harder it is because of um, the variations in in thrust and yaw and pitch and all the angles you've got to take into account. And because I was trying to steer with a keyboard, and I'm sure they don't have to do that on a spaceship, um, it, it got more difficult because as you get closer, you've got to make more subtle changes in direction. And I found it very hard. And in the middle of it all, <laughs> I got called away. So I had to stop the spaceship, go out the back and load bricks or something, then come back in and start again. And when I came back, the, the spaceship had drifted hundreds of metres away and I had to redo the whole thing. But I did succeed on my first attempt at docking. Very, very good. Uh, and they, the, it is the same as the simulator they use at NASA, apparently, or wherever it is. Yeah. So I don't know if that's Oculus, but I had a go at that. And, yeah, it's it keeps your brain ticking over. You've really got to concentrate. I enjoyed it. It was fun. Okay. Um, I, so I'm not sure if that was Oculus, though. No, it's not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oculus is a system of uh, virtual reality headsets, uh, uh, oh. most notably the o Oculus Rift. Uh, which were introduced back in 2016. I was thinking I've heard of them for a long time. I never had a, ch a chance to have a shot at one, um, at using one. So it's it's a it's a virtual reality system. I mean, um, virtual reality is coming to popularity, and of course you can do it now if you've got a headset that will let you use your your mobile phone to produce the two images that give you the stereoscopic vision but oculus was yeah. one of the one of the early ones um and it would be sensational to be on the iss uh with an oculus rift headset and uh you know the system pr providing the backup i'm sure you'd get 
uh, every uh, s- sensation other than gravity of being on board the spacecraft. And it, mm. it may well be that um, what you did, that's, that system that you did to, to dock with the ISS, might be available as a, an Oculus Rift program or Oculus... Uh, yeah. as, as Ashley mentioned, I've not done it at all, but it's, it's great stuff. Now, Fred, uh, the second part of Ashley's uh, question was about what would happen if there was no atmosphere. I assume no atmosphere on Earth is where we're going with this. Uh, indeed, yeah. <laughs> the answer is, Ashley, we'd be in deep trouble. Um, deep, uh, so very deep. The, very deep, yeah. The, <clears throat> the oceans would boil uh, and uh, the water vapour would all be lost to the to the um, to, uh, to, to the space around the Earth, um, <clears throat> that would leave the Earth looking very interesting because you know there'd be all these deep valleys and rifts and things like that with no water on them. But there wouldn't be anybody there to see it either, mm. because we would boil too. Our blood would boil, uh, which would would not be healthy. So fortunately, the atmosphere is extremely stable. Uh, it does have variations in it, which we hear about in the news every day. It's called the weather, uh, plus uh, climate changes, which take place over longer periods of time. But, um, yeah, without the atmosphere, we could not possibly exist. And that's why there's no life, uh, we believe, of any kind on the moon. The moon is a world with no atmosphere. It's got a, a very, very thin gas around it, which we call the exosphere, but it's nothing like an atmosphere like we have here on Earth. So we mm. don't want that. And I think the last question, Ashley, was about um, animals. Yes. Um, are they are out animals, there? Are they out there? We don't know. Uh, there may be. Um, the, it's really interesting because I think the, the opinion of astronomers and the scientists called astrobiologists who look at um, life, the possibilities of life out in the universe, they seem to be less convinced that we'll find animals in space. Uh, we might find microbes, but animals might be just a step too far because they're, they might need all kinds of accidents in a, in a, on a planet uh, in order for them to form. Uh, and, mm. well, your final question, uh, will they find us before we find them? Well, that's possible as well. We might be sitting here saying, no, no, there's no animals out there, and suddenly one appears. But um, for an astronomer, that will be a very interesting experience. Um, something Absolutely. Something really like to do. Now, Fred, um, speaking of animals on other planets, I believe some years ago there was a fabulous April Fool's Day joke that was played uh, I think it was in newspapers or some sort of scientific paper that was released that suggested that Mars was populated by exotic animals of all kinds. Uh, they kind of described it like uh, the Great Plains of Africa, if I recall correctly, and it sucked everybody in big time, just hook, line and sinker. And I suppose, I don't know when it was, uh, but it, it, it was just one of the great April Fool's Day jokes or um, it, it may have just been something that somebody did outside of the April Fool's Day regime. But, uh, yeah, I do recall it. It's worth looking up if you if you want to follow it up because uh, it is rather amusing. Um, <laughs> Will do. Yeah. Now let's move on to our next question. This comes from Christian in Brazil. This is a text question. Hi, Andrew and Fred. Thanks for your wonderful show. In relation to your story last week about the earth spinning faster, probably wasn't last week, if I recall. Uh, Can Fred uh, shed any light on the Earth actually spinning slower in the distant past? I had heard that when the dinosaurs were around, one day on Earth was about 18 hours long. Could this affect the gravity on Earth, making things grow bigger and heavier? 
It's hard to believe those 70-tonne dinosaurs could have walked around with such tiny legs. Thank you. Thanks, Christian. Uh, good question. And I do recall this coming up before, I think. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, certainly we've talked about the Earth's rotation. And I think the thing Christian is referring to there, uh, we spoke about there was a, a report that I think last year, the day got very, very slightly short period uh, rather than the usual lengthening of the day, which comes That's to right. the uh, spinning. I think that was that was what it was. Uh, so um, that generally speaking, when we look backwards in time, we find the Earth spinning more quickly. Uh, and the thinking is that when the Earth, and I'm going back four and a half billion years now, um, the day was um, uh, maybe as short as four hours. Um, Whoa! Never, never shorter than that, though, because one of the early th theories for the origin of the moon would be uh, was that the moon, the Earth, was spinning so fast that debris spun off the equator. Uh, it would need it. It would need to have been spinning quite considerably faster than once every four hours for that to happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, it's yes, the early Earth was a rapid spinner, and it slowed. Uh, now, Christian says he's heard that when the dinosaurs were around, one day was only 18 hours long. Um, it's certainly shorter than it is now. I'm not sure whether it's that short, though, because that's only 66 million years ago, which is not in in this sort of cosmic timescale that we're talking about. So I suspect the day was shorter than 24 hours, but not maybe not quite down to 18 hours. Um, but right. his questions are good ones. Uh, could this affect the gravity on Earth, making things grow bigger, bigger and heavier? Um, uh, to some extent, that's true, because the uh, a, a faster spinning Earth has gives you more of a centrifugal force on the equator, bit lighter and in fact we can you know we can see that change in gravity now even with the our equipment is so sensitive that you can measure the difference between um, a person's weight on the equator it's on the pole and they're slightly different but it is a very small effect and i don't think it would have any significant influence on the way things evolved uh, at least not when you go back you know 100 million years or so to the to the era of the dinosaurs mm. um, i think the the reason why they grew so big was just uh, you know it was just an evolutionary uh, uh, almost an evolutionary dead end to make them bigger and better and they ate more things and all the rest of it the legs were pretty colossal though when you look at dinosaur skeletons they that you know they they weren't tiny they were uh, pretty pretty uh, substantial uh, structures so yeah gr great question though and um we should talk a bit more about the way the Earth slowdown has gone over the geological periods. It's because it yeah. would have certainly influenced the things, things, the way things worked. We can um, probably dedicate a segment to that in the uh, in, in a future episode, possibly. We can. That sounds mm. good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess um, a great many people are fascinated by the era of the dinosaurs and what the Earth mm. was like. But when you when you look at history, um, Earth has been changing constantly and has has had many and some significant variations uh on different parts of the planet at different times it's uh, it's quite uh, quite extraordinary when you look back and Indeed. find out uh what happened i i read an article only yesterday uh they were doing mud sampling from the bottoms of rivers and lakes and discovered that climate change probably started 
4,000 years ago, not 300 years ago, as we've all been told, uh, that the human, the human impact on Earth's atmosphere and Earth's climate probably began a lot longer back than we've all than we've considered. And that, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, and like the clearing of uh, forests, and uh, and they can tell through the pollen samples over you know layer upon layer. And they did the experiment by going back eighteen thousand years at a time where the Earth was coming out of a uh, an ice age, and were able to use that as a baseline to compare each um, series, uh, each period of time that they were looking at. And the pollen samples clearly show that the human influence on Earth began probably 4,000 years ago in some parts of the planet, 2,000 years ago in other parts of the planet. So it is it is fascinating, fascinating and very, very scary all at the same time. Uh, but we, we're just much more aware of it, I think, these days, and we're, we're trying to do something about it, which is, which is good news. Anyway, thank you, Christian, for your question, and thank you, Ashley. Lovely to hear your voice, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm just so thrilled by your enthusiasm. Uh, we're going to take a little break uh, right now, and when we come back, we'll have more questions on the Space Nuts podcast. Andrew Dunkley here with Fred Watson. Roger, your last right here, also. Space Nuts. Thanks for joining us on the Space Nuts podcast, and uh, I just wanted to let you know very quickly we have some new propaganda, uh, new uh, items in our Space Nuts shop. Uh, in fact, um, Hugh messaged me the other day and said. Um, you know, we've got a bomber jacket now, a bomber jacket. So go and check it out, uh, spacenutspodcast.com. Click on the shop link and see what takes your fancy. It's a brand-new book there, by the way. It's really, really now available in paperback. The paperback release date was the 31st of May for The Hitler Paradox. Already got a review on Amazon, Fred. So somebody's a fast reader. Yeah. yeah. Very good. What I got four say? stars. Four stars. Hey, that's all right. That's pretty no comments, good. just four stars. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, not, I'm not unhappy with that. If you start off with one star, it takes a lot of work to get yourself back up there again. So a four-star yeah. start is nice. So thank yeah. you for that. Don't know who it was. Uh, now, uh, to our next question, and uh, this one comes from Marius, who we believe is from Norway. Hi, what our lads. My name is Marius, and I live in the southern part of Norway. Now, I've been listening to you lads for the past six months or so. I've gotten through that much of the content to work and everything. But so far, it's really, really good and really enjoyable. Listen to it at work. I and many others have questions and requests for you to talk about and answer. At the moment, I've currently only built up 10 questions, but more, more will come. I will only ask a couple of questions at a time that are related to each other as best as I can, but here we go. Now, I use a program software called Space Engine. Have either of you used it or heard about it? If so, could you tell us a little bit about it, share it with your community so they can enjoy it, if possible? And while I was playing around on the, the game, I found a specific polar called E1407B. Gotta love this thing. <laughs> And its ring system is humongous. Could you tell us a little bit about its planets and compare it to something like Saturn or anything else, the solar system even? Thanks for the show, guys. Really enjoy it. Thank you, Marius. Uh, great to hear your voice. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think we can start with the, um, 
uh, did he say it was a game or something? I didn't quite catch it. I thought he said Space Edge, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it's not something I'm aware of. Um, and, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not something I've ever played with, so I can't comment on it, but I can comment on J1407B. <laughs> so Good segue. Straight, straight to that, yeah. Uh, because uh, clearly they've built this uh, extraordinary planet into the game, which is fabulous, uh, but it is a real, a real object. Um, it is... Uh, a planet, an exoplanet that is orbiting a sun-like star about 430 light years away. Um, it's a it's a, a star that's sort of you know part of a bigger group of fairly young uh, stars like the sun. So J one four zero seven B, fourteen zero seven B, we probably call it. Uh, it. It's a planet that was discovered by. Uh, dimming it, the fact that it dimmed the light of its parent star as it passed in front of it, the so-called transit method. Um, and it's a, a great way of finding exoplanets. But uh, it's as long ago as 2007, um, the, the the astronomers who were observing this showed not just a single kind of dip in the uh, the brightness of the of the parent star as the planet went in front of it, but this whole complex series of dips, uh, short-term changes in the star's brightness uh, that seem to be caused by differing amounts of obscuration uh, passing in front of it. And what you, what you uh, end up with uh, is the, uh, the conclusion that the planet is uh, uh, not just a planet, that it's got a ring system as well and a significant mm. ring system that is also absolutely enormous. So this is the big surprise from J1407b, that its ring system has a diameter of about 120 million kilometres, um, which means uh, that if it was where the sun is, it would reach 80% of the way to the Earth. Yeah. You know, forget Saturn. <laughs> this thing has the most enormous ring system, uh, essentially a, a solar system-sized ring system. It's only as far as the, um, you know, the, the the third rocky planet in the solar system, or eighty yeah. percent of that way. But it's still enormous. Um, and it was in the news again around about a, a year or so ago, a bit more than a year ago, um, because there's a gap in the rings. There's a, a large gap. Uh, which some researchers wondered whether uh, it was caused by a moon orbiting outside the ring system. Um, new research apparently showed that wasn't possible. But it's, it, it, what is possible is that there is a, a baby moon that's embedded in the rings. Um, and we see that in Saturn. Some of Saturn's moons actually orbit within the ring system. Uh, so the what has to happen now uh, it, it's uh, i can't remember what the the period of rotation of j1407b is around its parent star but there's quite a long wait i think before it passes in front of its parent star again mm. and but you can bet when that happens that um, a lot of big telescopes will be watching it to watch the the, the the series of dips that you get to determine what the structure of its ring system is. So it's something that will appear in the news again, uh, hopefully before too long. Yeah, fascinating. All right. Um, Marius, thank you so much. Sorry we couldn't um, tell you anything about the uh, the game you were referring to or um, whatever it was, but uh, I'll be fascinated <laughs> to find out more about it myself. 
Uh, let's move on to our next question uh, from John in Barnsley, a text question. Hi, Andrew and Fred. Uh, thanks for the great podcast. I only discovered a, a month back, but uh, I've been listening to an episode every night since. Get a life, John. No, kidding. Uh, since you said you're running out of questions, I have a couple for you. I've struggled to find answers to. Would measurements of the CMB look identical to any observer in any position in the universe? Uh, or would it look different based on the observer's position and their own observable universe? Would the universe have been infinite in size immediately after inflation started? And would the curvature of space-time have been flat during inflation as we measure it to be now? Thanks again, uh, John from Barnsley. It's got a lot going on there. CMB, um, I'm going to be the one that asks a dumb question. What's that stand for? Cosmic microwave background. I knew um, it. I couldn't yeah. think. I just couldn't get it together in my head. You were there. COVID-19 vaccination shot <laughs> for that. Yeah. Um, so that's a really good question. And John's absolutely right that, you know, if you imagine the universe as this huge volume of space, the bit that we can see is like, I always think of it, I think I sometimes think of it in terms of, you know, a huge concert hall or something like that. Mm. And you, you imagine a, a beach ball in it uh, with us at the centre of the beach ball. And uh, we can only see as, as far as the radius of the beach ball because the uh, the cosmic microwave background gets in the way. It's the flash of the Big Bang, yeah. uh, which is what we're seeing. And so, um, yeah, uh, observers in different bits of that, huge concert hall sized universe we'll see different beach balls they'll see a different cosmic microwave background um and i think the patterns on the mic we detect this this tiny ripple of structure in it and by tiny i mean in terms of its extent it's one it's the the cosmic microwave background is uniform to better than one part in a hundred thousand uh so we're looking we find tiny fluctuations in it which correspond to fluctuations in temperature uh, at the time that we're looking back to, about 380,000 years after the Big Bang. Mm. And those um, those fluctuations will look different in different parts of the universe. But the story they're telling in terms of, you know, how much fluctuation there is and the what we call the power spectrum, which is just a characteristic of the pattern that you're seeing, uh, they should be the same everywhere. Uh, so the details might be different, but the basic message would be the same. Um, would the universe have been infinite in size immediately after inflation started? That's the second of John's questions. Um, we don't know that the universe is infinite, but we do know it's very, very big indeed, and it may be. Uh, so uh, and we think it's the inflation that sort of grew it so big. So I don't know that the answer to that question Um uh, the inflation lasted a very brief length of time. It was about 10 to the minus 33, I think, of a second, something of that sort. Uh, so, um, and the universe was different at the beginning from what it was at the end. Uh, I don't know about whether it was infinite or not uh, in that time. And uh, the curvature of space-time that John refers to, uh, which we say is flat, that doesn't mean the universe is flat like a pancake. It means that uh, the normal geometry that we understand of parallel lines not meeting and things of that sort uh, carries on throughout the universe. Uh, would that space, would that curvature have been flat during inflation as we measure it to be now? Probably not, because we think that one of the reasons why it's flat is because of inflation. So uh, that sort of ironed out lots of things. Um, 
so that may have also imprinted the geometry of the universe on it too. So uh, some great questions there, John, most of which don't have proper answers, but um, thank you very much for asking them nevertheless. Indeed. Uh, thank you, John. I appreciate it. And if you um, get the impression we're rushing a bit today, yes, we are. We've had some major technical issues. Fred's got a meeting, so we've got to barrel through this one. So it'll be a shorter segment uh, than usual, a shorter program this week. So uh, just apologies for that. I know people like to sit back and relax for the four or five hours we normally take, but um, that won't uh, that won't be happening this time. But um, I'm sure you'll understand that the internet being the internet, it can throw us a few curveballs, which it's certainly done today. But uh, having said that, you are listening to the Space Nuts podcast with Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson. Space Nuts. A special thank you to our patrons, the people who put a couple of bucks in here and there to keep us afloat every week. Uh, We certainly do want to encourage people to become patrons, but we do not demand it. But if you would like to find out about how you can support Space Nuts financially, go to our website, spacenutspodcast.com, hit the supporter button and see what uh, options are available. Of course, the shop is another way you can support us. We make about a 1% profit on everything we sell there, and that includes my books. But um, uh, Fred gets 2% on his special. Uh, now, Fred, let's move on to our uh, final audio question for today, and this one comes from Jerry in San Diego, I believe. Hello, Professor Fred Watson and Andrew Dunkley. My name is Jerry. And I've been listening to your superb podcast and recommending it to every space enthusiast I've come across since episode one. Today, I am transmitting from San Diego, California, but I am originally born and raised from the Great Plains of South Dakota in the U.S. I have two questions. The first is about NASA's Gateway Project, trying to establish a permanent presence on our closest satellite, the moon. From my understanding, they're either trying to build a space station or a surface station. Additionally, I remember in the early 2000s reading a couple articles about NASA contemplating decommissioning or selling their portion of the International Space Station due to a number of reasons. Obviously, that didn't happen. But I feel with the continuation of space exploration, the ISS is going to become less and less relevant. So my question is, why don't the nations that control the International Space Station park the ISS either in one of the Lagrange points as a rendezvous point to the moon or park the ISS in orbit around the moon. I know this would take a very significant amount of fuel and work to make happen, but I feel like transporting the fuel to space and simply moving a space station would be an easier endeavor than getting the metals to space than to construct a brand new space station around the moon. For my second question, I was wondering why we don't hear a lot about the Great Attractor, which seems to be pulling everything in our universe to it. It just seems like a very interesting subject, but yet it never seems to get talked about. If you have any information on it, it'd be greatly appreciated. Or is it never talked about because the Great Attractor is so far out into space and so unknown, it's not even a worthy subject to debate. Lastly, I have an idea for your space nut shot. You should take the logo and create Velcro patches or stickers. I think it would be a great seller for anyone who would like to buy stickers and represent the podcast show in their own little way at work, or at home. With that being said, I just wanted to thank you for bringing all the corners of this planet together with your fantastic podcast. I feel multinational space exploration and cooperation is one of the few things that really lets the best humanity shine. 
even amongst political strife. And it reminds us to simply be decent human beings. Keep on cracking at our nutty questions. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with him on that political front, and it's something I've uh, voiced several times in uh, more recent episodes. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm on the same page with you there, Jerry. I'm pleased to tell you we do have stickers in the Space Nuts shop, but uh, the Velcro patches or just some, you know, maybe patches you can sew on, I will put that to Hugh and see if we can get that added into the mix. That's a good idea. Uh, now, he's asking about, um, you know, a moon station or a space station around the moon or moving the ISS as a staging point for going to the moon. Are any of those things possibilities or probabilities? It's a great idea, Andrew. And um, the, so the Gateway project uh, is, it, it's a mini space station to be placed in orbit around the moon. And uh, that is sort of ongoing. Uh, I think it's designed for astronauts before they touch down on the lunar surface. Um, uh, it's... Uh, of course, that is built with 2020s technology, whereas the International Space Station dates from 2000 when uh, when it first became uh, habitable or ha inhabited constantly. Um, it's uh, it, it's an interesting idea to to recycle it by shoving it out into lunar orbit. And yes, it wouldn't need something very very powerful to do that, uh, uh, but that's not an impossibility, I think. Um, I think in the end, though, it's going to be that the space station, its its destiny is for it to be privatised. That's essentially what's been said already by the US government. They're looking at perhaps even as early as 2025. Uh, there are five uh, space agencies which are involved with the International Space Station. They've got to do some deals on this. But I, I think there's a good chance that it will end up as a... Uh, as a, a legacy holiday resort for space tourists down the track, but we're a bit of a way from that uh, yet. And, and I think it's more likely that <clears throat> it will be new hardware, <clears throat> excuse me, that will be used uh, for lunar orbit uh, operations and things of that sort. So uh, bearing in mind, we've got about two minutes left, Andrew. Yes, I know. Let me, um, let me go to... The second part, which is about the great attractor, and we have—I think we've—since this question came in, I think we've talked about it, um, Andrew. We did a, a, a certainly did a segment on the great attractor not very long ago. It's this—it's uh, the fact that somewhere behind the Milky Way, it's a, a long way off, but it happens to lie in the plane of the Milky Way, so we can't exactly see what's going on there mm. because we can only see the, the nearest few thousand light years, not the nearest uh, few hundred million light years. But there is a, a mass concentration, uh, and it's not something that's not talked about. There's a lot of research going on on it. It is probably part of a much bigger concentration as well. It's revealed, by the way, uh, this great attractor is pulling uh, galaxies towards it. Um, that uh, is still an ongoing Going, you know, really an ongoing piece of research. We might cover it again in a bit more detail uh, later on. Uh, I think the third bit was the Velcro patches. Is that right? I can't. Yes, that's that. right. <laughs> <laughs> that's I'll leave that. Promise. I'll leave that one up to Hugh. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I think Mark, we um, uh, sorry, Jerry, we have um, talked about the Great Attractor before, and we discovered it was a John Deere or possibly a Massey Ferguson. <laughs> I had to use that joke again because it was so darn good. <laughs> so darn good. Now, we did have one more question. Do you want to uh, maybe skip it for next week? I think we given might your... put it on next week's show. Yeah. 
Apologies to Mark in in yeah. yeah. Apologies to Mark in Newbury. We we just have run out of time due to other commitments. So uh, we will catch up with you next week. Thanks to everyone who contributed to our questions only episode two hundred fifty five of Space Nuts. Really appreciate it. Uh, to everybody, Ashley, Christian, Marius, John, and Jerry, uh, keep those questions coming in via our website, spacenutspodcast.com, and you can upload them through the AMA app, whether it's audio or text. We don't mind. Keep them coming. Uh, Fred, we'll draw a line there. Uh, he, um, Sorry uh, about that. It's not an infinite line either. It's just a, a basic line across the bottom of the page uh, until next week. Uh, I did learn one thing that's going to be beneficial for my future in this episode. That uh, when Judy and I retire, uh, I'm going to be king of the heat because I know how to make her lose weight. We're going to move to the equator. <laughs> so I'm going to solve one of the great riddles of humanity. How do, how do, how do we lose weight? Yep. We move to the equator. There it is. Thank you, Fred. And um, it's always great fun. Uh, quick and easy this week. Uh, not so easy, actually. But uh, we will uh, catch you next time. See you soon. Thanks, Fred. See you soon. Thanks, Andrew. That's Fred Watson, astronomer at large, uh, part of the team here at the Space Nuts podcast. Thanks uh, also to Hugh in the studio, who's really going to be earning his $1.50 this week. And from me, Andrew Dunkley, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Fights.com.